Hello there, this is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Today I'm chatting with Dale Hayward, a seasoned stop-motion animator here in Canada. And Dale first appeared on my radar about 10 years ago when I came across his short film of a cute little old-timey flower that gets repeatedly stabbed in the eye by a bee. And ever since, I've been hooked on Dale's work, and he's worked on tons of stop-motion projects over the years. He's worked on shows like Celebrity Deathmatch, and commercials for Nike and Tim Hortons and Lego, and even feature films like The Little Prince. And in all that time, he even managed to start his own studio called Sea Creature. And very, very recently, he finished work on a completely self-made short film with his wife Sylvie for the National Film Board of Canada. And that film is called Bone Mother. And it's about this vain and arrogant youth who dares to enter Baba Yaga's living house of bones. And if you haven't seen it yet, I'll include a link to the video in the description where you should definitely give it a look. The sets and puppets are absolutely spectacular. And Dale shares so many behind the scenes shots on Instagram, which is really fun to look at. For instance, they built this giant animatable house out of what I think is chicken bones. And they also developed their own 3D printing process for the character's replacement faces, which kind of proves that just two people with a load of passion can mimic what a big studio can. So Dale, I'm really, really happy we're chatting today and I have so many questions for you. How is it going on your end? It's great. Thanks for having me, Terry. Well, I'm really happy you're here. So first off, you know, how did you get into stop motion, especially in Canada, where there isn't a giant industry like there is in the States comparatively? Uh, I think everybody kind of falls into stop motion. Um, nobody like nobody goes to school for it. Nobody intends necessarily to go into it, I guess, unless you're, you know, stromatis. Um, uh, <laughs> you seem to want to go get right into it. Um, but uh I, I think in retrospect, I think I always kind of wanted to get into stop motion, just didn't know what it was. I think when I was a kid, I was always, when I was playing with my toys, I would just kind of set them up. I wouldn't really kind of play with them like and talk. They were just always in poses and I would just set them all up in this little scene by the tree trunk and the grass and this little, you know, imagine a whole scene set up. Um, but uh, then when I was in a high school, uh, it w which was an, kind of an arts high school in Caledon, just north of Toronto, um, called Mayfield, the, there I kind of found out what animation was, or at least realized that you could work drawing like, cartoons and get paid to do that. Um, then I was like, all right, okay, that's it. This is what I'm going to do. And... Uh, I changed all my courses to fit all what I was just like, no, nope, that's it, art college, but I don't need anything else. Forget science, forget all that. What do I need that stuff for? And uh, so then uh, after that, I went a little bit at Sheridan um, just for illustration. Um, but then uh, I kind of, my plan was to kind of sneak into the animation program through Sheridan, uh, through the illustration program. And when I was there, I kind of just didn't really like the vibe in the program at the time. So it was a darker time than it is now. So that was, I guess this was probably in 97. Yeah. And uh, so the only really alternative I had found out about when I was there was this purple pamphlet of a piece of paper. And it was called this school called Studio M. And it was put together by these former Sheridan teachers that didn't really like how things were going there. So they made their own thing. And it was downtown in Toronto. And I was just like, okay, well, let's try it out. And it was really just kind of like a part-time, on the weekend, uh, second career kind of courses. And eventually, it, 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 as I, while I was taking courses there, it became a 
closer and closer to a proper school. Um, change the name to uh, um, Max the Mutt. And uh, it, was, it was really great foundational, learning the core foundations of drawing, really, you know, drawing based. And, and um, but at the time, it was all 2D based. Sorry, it was all, it was all traditional drawing, all 2D uh, stuff. There really, again, there was no other option. There really wasn't many CG schools. This was before Seneca as well, and before Sheridan's uh, CG program. And uh, so then, shortly after I graduated, the only person that came to our open house, it was like a three-day open house, and we were all there with our portfolios up on the wall and our throwaway portfolios and our VHS demo reels. And uh, nobody shows up until like the last hour, the last day. Uh, this one guy comes in and uh, we find out later on his name is Chief. This is his nickname is Chief. And uh, he, he, <laughs> everybody, as soon as they see somebody that, you know, what they didn't recognize, it was like, oh, my God, it's someone from the industry. So, of course, everything all hushes up and we all just sort of stand there with our portfolios and just surround him like zombies. And uh, before he, you know, was attacked, he kind of threw us a clipboard and just said, oh, if you want to do a test in stop motion, here, sign your name up. And he ran out, you know, um, to save his own life. Uh, but then so we all most of us all did kind of did a test on the weekend at Kappa. Um and uh, it was, again, that was the only way that Cup of Coffee could get people into stop motion because nobody really did it on their own. And I didn't even really think it was an option. I, I was like, oh, what's this? Oh, stop motion. Right. Oh, OK. It's a thing. Oh, OK. And then I realized that, like, so much of what I loved as a kid, whether it was like stuff in Star Wars or, or uh, Robocop or whatever, that was all stop mo and i was like oh well that's why i loved it so much it just looked different I, I could totally tell and uh so yeah i got i got hired out of that test and uh that was it, it just kind of just just that was my path you know so so you kind of had i guess some preliminary experience with stop motion when you were really small and then you studied 2d animation and then one person showed up to industry day and was like can anybody do a stop motion test how come, why do you think you got the job versus everybody else when, like, I guess you're all on the same playing field stop motion wise? Yeah, that was a really fascinating experience to see other people's tests and to talk with some of the students. Most of the people were terrified by it because you could, there was no, it was all straight ahead. So, you know, you can keep, do your keys. We've been so used to drawing our keys and, and, and really, I mean, like, we learned the basic fundamentals of animation, but we all suck. So we all, we all really didn't know how to animate yet. Um, and you really don't, for the most part, find, you don't really learn until you get on the job. Like that's when I, that was, and what I loved about stop motion was that it, I didn't have to fight my drawing or my inability to draw. Because that was always the thing. It's like, okay, no, I got to get this drawing to look right. I got to make it, oh, it's got to be on model so then I can even see whether the animation is any good. Uh, Stop Moa didn't have to. It was already done. It was, it was clean. It was rendered. It was already, all I'd do is just push it. And, and so, and for some reason, I guess, straight ahead, I was able to do it. Um, yeah, where, where some, some of my friends just couldn't, couldn't grasp it. So, so what, what was the test that you impressed them with? I don't even really know what the tests were. I remember this, like the second test, 
a friend of mine now, now he's a friend, Chris Pounds. He, he, he just, he saw the, he saw what I did in the morning. And then afterwards he was just like, all right, okay, fine. And he turned off the playback monitor and he was like, all right, okay, make him walk. And I was like, but I got nothing to look at. He's like, yeah, I know. And he left. <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, cause I got, so I had to do this blind walk across of this, of the, like it was an old, I think Jojo puppet of this TV show. And, uh, and so, of course, when we saw that, it was just like, this is going to be a piece of crap. And and it wasn't as bad as we all expected it to be. So, um, yeah, I think that was it. And then I think I was so stoked after the first, because it was two days. I was so stoked about it that I think the Saturday night I went home and I got a shitty webcam and I was like making my own with some of my toys. And I made a little stop mo with that. And I sent them, emailed them that. And I think I was, yeah, very eager. <laughs> oh, so they were just, they just needed people to do the work and they just randomly went out to your school and said, does anybody want to well, figure this out? Because there was really no other options. Like even yeah. for them, it's, and, and, and again, so then that was kind of a big hiring batch of, of crew for this new show called The Wrong Coast that they're doing. And so, so then they were doing two shows at that time. So that was pretty big for the studio. So nowadays, Sheridan, like in year three and four, you can, you can actually do your thesis in stop motion. Do you know of many other schools, I guess, that you can focus in stop motion? Because uh, I've interviewed a couple of other animators, and it, it seems like everybody kind of made their own path with stop motion because there wasn't a lot uh, of formalized training then mm -hmm. back in the yeah. day, whenever your day was, 90s, early <laughs> 2000s, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So do you know? know? I mean... No, there isn't that much. That's the thing. I mean, there's, I think in Barcelona, they have Bao. I think that they can actually get a master's in Stamo, which I'm always amazed about. But that's So cool. when you see people coming into the industry now, where are they coming from then? Uh, again, most people come at it from all these different angles. Like, it, it's just funny. Again, everybody has their own weird story of how they kind of stumble into it. Um, now, it's a, I think it's a lot easier uh because the exposure of the stuff is out there so much more on like, social media and that's uh, and that stuff um and the tools the technology is so much cheaper now so right. that that uh, that really makes it a lot easier to to be able to do it i couldn't at the time again it was no there was the the playback we were using was on a, a lunchbox this really archaic thing that you had to plug with with rca cables into a monitor that actually had that and so it was really like there was you needed gear. You needed film gear to even begin to do it. Um, but now it's so much easier. So I think it's. I think people are now able to do it from home. But a lot of people were get really getting it from their own. Uh, they just stumble into it. Like Sylvie, my wife. She again. She she went to photography school, and it was just a friend of a friend. She did collages, and they're like, "Oh well, I have a friend that's doing collages with animation." And she's like, "I don't know what that is," and so then they hired her for based on her collage work. So she's like, yeah, I can, I can do animation. Didn't know anything about it. That night she goes to the bookstore, buys all these books on animation and like crunches to try and figure out what the hell this thing is, you know? So I, everybody's got, like, got their weird stories of how they do it. So. Yeah, I guess I kind of like that about the industry too because it's such a niche thing. It's like you really have to stumble in it for the passion or just like a random coincidence type of thing. So yeah. you were at a cup of coffee uh, working at your first job. How did you, you know, go from not knowing anything about stop motion to then becoming like this master stop motion animator who Whoa. can 
create yeah. his own films and you know he's very well known etc <laughs> uh, um just working that just kept working on the job we, so we did three or four series there different seasons of shows and and what's I, again what i i love about stop mo is again because nobody goes to school for it so nobody but they're all these like specialists like a, like a, all these amazing specialists whether they're in animation or all these different fields um but they all stumbled into it from again like a lot of the people from live action a lot of visual like the uh prosthetic effects people become puppets so you just sort of meet these new people and it's like this great community uh i love the stomo community they're just always this like they're just way more connected to each other somehow um than i find in other fields especially in computer but uh and so then you just keep this rapport and then then you find out that that's that is the network that's how you get other projects and how you get other jobs it's just who you met on the last job and so though that network and and uh community aspect is is a massive part to it all and that and then you just keep learning from each other because again nobody nobody can go in there with a huge ego because nobody like has any real experience so they're all like half the time learning it together. So which I, I find always really great. Nice. So so where did you move on to after a cup of coffee? I was there for about five years. Kind of jumped back and forth between Kappa and, and Headgear, doing some commercial stuff. Um, did some stomach, did some 2D stuff with them. So that was great to just sort of continue doing, keep drawing. Um, but then afterwards, we got this, heard about the NFB in Montreal was had this hothouse program. It's kind of this uh, apprenticeship program um, that they were coming out. I think it was around Christmas that we saw it. So, and it was going to happen in February. So we're like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like my, I was, Sylvia and I have been going out for maybe a year at this point, not even, I think. And uh, no, I think it was about a year. And uh, so we're like, yeah, let's try to apply. Who knows? And then we both applied and I got in and I was like, oh, I, I kind of didn't really expect it to actually happen. But okay, okay. And, guess we're it's only for three months but we need we were looking for a change you know after a while just sort of working in tv series and you, you get this kind of burnt out cycle and so we were just sort of looking for a change and uh it seemed like an interesting opportunity so yeah we just kind of packed everything up and moved and uh on that kind of three-month contract wow. and uh so then we just kind of after that that was really interesting because it was a whole different vibe going to the film board so. so so you got a contract for three months and you just decided to like pack up everything and move cities and you had a baby and like did no you... no baby yet no baby oh, yet. not the baby yet no, no, but no. didn't you feel some like you're taking a big risk like your your sense of like stability and everything was just kind of i don't know i guess in i it sh in retrospect it should have been <laughs> but i didn't i don't i didn't feel like it, it was just more exciting than anything um but yeah, like I said, I was really looking for a kind of a shift because I kept, I could feel the ceiling at, at working in TV series. Like it, it, I was, it was animation directing at the time. So and I were like, we split the crew. So we were working together. Um, she would have 10 or so animators. I would have 10 or so animators. And we just kind of were working regularly at 10 hour day. So it was just kind of like, all right, okay, well, the more you, the more responsibility you get, you move up the ladder, but you get more more responsibility and then more you know it, it, the money didn't really increase that much and you kind of you know unless you're starting to show like be a showrunner there's only so much you can get uh, out of the industry and i was looking for some more 
than than just that. And again, TV series like a commercial, it's kind of fun because they can pay a little bit better and they're really intense, but they're super intense and they're really sporadic. So it's kind of what do you mean intense, like like time bound? Yeah, like you're you're pumping out a commercial in like three, four weeks. So it's like, you know, you start at 10, 12 hour days and you're you're at it the whole time. So some commercials are way even more intense than others, but um, yeah, it's like hurry it up. So that was kind of the attitude also in a series. It was kind of like just hurry up and get it done. So I was like, okay, I, I, you know, you lose the motivation after a while for that sort of thing. So again, the, the opportunity to make something of our own was really rare, it felt at the time. Like at the time it really, again, it was, internet still wasn't what it is now and it, and it didn't, you didn't have that as much it didn't feel like within the community in toronto it seems like more about you're there to just go get more jobs all right what's the next job it's the next job the lifestyle is a little different and the kind of independent aspect is definitely a lot different you didn't really hear about people making their own films on the side there's a few things here and there but not enough to think that you can actually make a career out of it you know so that's what we got when we came here it was like immediately it was like whoa okay there is a whole community of people here that have been either living on their own films or working on other people, their close friends' films, um, and either working with the film board or working through the government grant system or finding some other way of working it. So I was like, this is pretty interesting. And that's what one of the big reasons why we've stuck around and we've been here for now over 10 years. Yeah, so that, that's where you created your, your sea creature as well, right? Yeah. Your studio. So yeah. when you're talking about your commercial work, you're talking about what you did through sea creature then? No, not necessarily. It was when, mainly through Headgear. I did a bunch of commercials with them. That kind of that was a real start of commercial stuff. And then when we came here, um, yeah, again, there was nobody really doing stop mo in Montreal. So we kind of, after a few gigs, we kind of got known for that. So then that sort of that was nice to, to sort of work on these great, quick, different commercial projects for stop mo. So we had a we we created another studio called La Moustache. We had we yes. ran that for a few years. And so that's where we did, we did a bunch of commercials through that. And then we changed gears and then we switched to, to Sea Creature. And we've been more film-based. We've been trying to be more film-based with, with Sea Creature. Than, than, what uh, was the point of having two different, creating two different studios? We had different partnerships and the partnership oh. just sort of ended. So okay. we, we kind of, yeah. So, so through Sea Creature, that's where you ended up working on The Little Prince then? Yeah, it was around the same time. That's the thing. It's always tricky when you're ha like, you know, when you're a studio, you know, it's like, oh, you're a studio now because you go by a different name. You know, <laughs> you're still only a couple people, but you're still now your studio. Um, and so initially, actually, with Little Prince, the word, you know, word gets around. The community is not that big. And the, the production wanted to come to Montreal because of the tax credits. Big time because of the great tax credits, all French money coming in for, for the Little Prince. And... Um, they wanted Sea Creature to do the, um, to, to basically produce all of the stop motion. So I was like, whoa, okay, this is great. This is an amazing project. And then you look at the budget, you're like, damn, like this is, this is a couple million dollars. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. We actually can get a good budget to work on something. Like this is exciting. But there's no way our little studio could guarantee that. You know, at the time we had just finished doing a project, our budget was like 100K. So it was like, okay, you know, we moved out. That's a pretty big jump. And we knew that we just, we didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't really have the, the, 
we weren't grown enough to, to sort of even bother pursuing that route. So, um, yeah, so we, we, they ended up finding a different studio and, and we still, I still put together the crew, still found everybody and or a lot of the people for the crew and, you know, put together the, the, the studio and that and sort of thing. But that way we didn't, you know, the studio didn't, uh, retain the kind of, uh, I don't know, the, the pressure of, <laughs> of all that money. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you, do you kind of like looking back, do you, cause it sounds like you built the team anyways. Like why wouldn't you just build that through sea creature then? Again, mo money. I think it was just guar like guarantee. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of other people's money going on going through this. And so they got to be able to be, have total security and rest assuredness that you know you're going to be able to deliver and we had we couldn't show that we had done that for any for any projects that were of the scale right. so you know um yeah yeah well, so now it was just kind of a, that way. a very large project under your belt you maybe we should switch gears and talk a little bit about bone mother because uh you know you just finished up filming that and and kind of it's doing the festival circuit right now and that was for the national <laughs> film board so you you had to like guarantee uh, a whole bunch of money and time on that too. Yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah. so did you make the connection? Because from what I understand with the NFB, you have to apply um, to make a film and you have to kind of persuade them and say, look, we're advancing technology and culture through uh, film with what our project uh, entails. So mm -hmm. maybe you can mm -hmm. just talk about how you ended up getting that grant through them. Well, it, wasn't, it, was, a, it was a full production from them. So it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a grant. Um, okay. That's that's the interesting with the film board and what kind of separates them from the other government agencies like Telefilm or Canada Council or Sodec is that they're not, a, they're not a, just a funder. They're a production yeah. studio. So yeah. they don't necessarily, they may have, they have a small little grants that they, they will receive, but it's more on services that they can help you with. So either like, even if you do a co-production, they won't just give you a bunch of money to do whatever you want with it. They'll give you, oh, uh, you can go in there and do your sound recordings in their, you know, their sound studio, or you'll get fully sound from them, or you'll do, you know, your your music with them, or something like that. So you're getting services um, that are outside of just money. Um, but for us, this we so we went after Hot House in 2007. Through through a few years, we worked on a bunch of other productions with the film work. So a lot, actually for a while I went away from doing uh, stop motion. I was doing more After Effects stuff. I did a ton of After Effects stuff for years and uh, kind of left stop motion for a while. And, uh, and, and what it did was it gave me a good basis on what's possible with After Effects. And so it, it was really gave confidence that when, when I got back into stop motion, I, I could just always know that I had that safety net of either compositing or doing other things um it, it, with after effects and stop uh, for stop motion so uh, we did the animation for cordell barker's uh latest film uh, if i was god so we sh we sh uh head off the crew for the fabrication on that the the, the set fab the, we shot it all we animated it all like so we we really did take over the whole part of that production for him we we skyped with him every day and uh how we got that and then that led us to working on little prince and at the same time, right when Little Prince was gearing up, the film board wanted to do Bow Mother with us. We pitched it to them. So we already had a good relationship with, uh, with the producers there, especially with the English department. And uh, 
so but because little prince was was such a big job we were like okay well we can't we have to delay bow mother until that's finished so that was 2014 or so and so i think we got we got the ball rolling right away right as soon as little prince was finished right into bow mother so we started it in 2015 yeah, or so so that and so that was that began a yeah a very long journey of that one yeah and, and i mean i've i've enjoyed following you through all of it and i remember just like posting almost every day like when are we going to see footage and you kept being like mm, can't yet <laughs> um so the nfb basically fully supported your family for what like three and a half years ish like did you work on other jobs during during that time too yeah yeah totally totally it, so, it, it didn't really fully support the money is not that it's not like you're getting a full-time job out of it all. right right but so, that's still incredible that like yeah. the nfb can can do that for somebody um so oh, and, just... and we're not the only i'm not the only one as well like for our production it was both sylvia and i so the unfortunate thing we you're co-directing it's not too two uh two salaries it's like one and a 30 percent it's kind of it's uh, kind of lame but uh there was other filmmakers too there's there's they're, they're really pumping out like i'd say they between the two english and the french departments of animation they're coming out with almost seven to ten films every year like they're just like they have so they have consecutive projects happening and that's just animation so then they have their documentaries. So they're still producing quite a lot of projects and being involved either with co-productions and stuff like that. So there's a lot of money going through it, but it's at the same time, there needs to be more in how they're dealing with how they distribute it within the institution. Um, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other subject. Sorry. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Sorry. Cut, cut you off. I'm wondering if you can just kind of go through like your pitch of bone mother to the NFB because from one aspect, they have to really believe in the story to, to produce it. And the other aspect, they have to really believe in the person who's gonna produce it. Like you can't just go off and do your own thing and be like, hey guys, I made this like short film and it's crap. Like, <laughs> so can, can you just like, how did you, can you give me the pitch of Bone Mother maybe? Like, why would they choose that over something else? I think, I think a lot, I, I actually personally think that the, filmmaker is almost more important than the project um, because the projects will, will totally change throughout the whole production. The, 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 some projects look so, so different. Um, some projects actually recently, uh, Patrick Bouchard's film, The Subject, didn't even have a concept and it went into production. He didn't have a script, he didn't have boards. He, all he had was just like the idea that he was gonna like improvise something and that the but the, there was such trust from the producers in him because he's already proven himself countless times that it was just like okay well then you this is part of the process and they love the process that's i think they they i think they enjoy the process sometimes more than the product um because it's sometimes that's the act of filmmaking sometimes is is the creating of a a, a giving the Given the opportunity to an artist to make something of their own or to to help create their voice, because um, you don't when you're in the commercial industry you don't get an opportunity necessarily to uh, to 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 use your voice. You can use it in different ways, obviously, but it's not doesn't end up usually being yours. Um, so, but with the film board, they were able, they give that opportunity. So, we were working on 
we were working on Cordell's film and we were just gearing the, nearing the end of it. And the producer at the film board, our producer at the time, uh, Michael Fukushima, had just sort of in passing, it just sort of like asked, well, if you got any projects, like, let me know if you got anything. And I was like, oh yeah, well, we've got, we've got a few that we'd like to throw by you. And I said like, there's one that's like definitely NFB. And there's another project that it's like, yeah, it's not so much NFB. I don't think it's really a fit. So I'll pitch you the one that I think is definitely NFB. And he's like, no, 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 pitch me the other one. I was like, what, really? He's like, yeah. Well, okay. And it's, I, I think it was, oddly enough, a weird way of, and, and an effective way of pitching a project. Because, you know, it's like, no, this one, nah, it's not for you. You know? And then it's like, oh, what's that? Um, so, yeah, we kind of, we, we put it, put the pitch together like we have hundreds of times with like commercial projects, the kind of the same idea, putting together a PDF brief of just pictures that we inspired pictures that we've been collecting. I mean, I've been thinking about this project off and on like a bunch of other projects for a while. And so I'd already had stuff there and I'd already, I think I actually, I had pitched it. Oh, oh yeah, I did uh, over like a year prior to that to another producer in the French department. I was working on a different production then, and I, and I threw it by him. And he gave me really valuable information from that. Because he was like, I showed it to him, I showed him the whole thing, and he was like, yeah, but I don't see you in this. I was like, well, what do you mean? Like I, he's like, well, I see all these great, I see that it was an existing story, so I was adapting this existing story. Okay, that's not mine. Okay, these are pop culture characters, dealing with Baba and Vlad. Uh, they don't they, they're not mine and the, all the designs and the, and the stuff I was showing him was all pre uh, from other other artists so he's like I don't see you here it's like oh right right I forgot that part um but it, it was like well I was hoping that the production would bring that out he's like oh but I need to get into the production I need still you I need to see what you I'm what this project is fostering what artist is be, is it being is it creating out of it so I was like okay then going back okay you know then sit on it and revise it so when Michael was interested that's when I kind of was like developed it more for for our own look um, and then well, the way they work is that once they accept it you go into a kind of a development stage um, actually they don't even before the development they go into an investigate stage so the in the investigate stage you it, de it de depends on the project. Some projects are come already stronger than others. And so for us, the story was already there. So we didn't really look at that for the, for the investigate. What wasn't there was necessarily for the, the design aspect or how the, the, in what, we knew it was gonna be stop motion, but we didn't know how we wanted to make it work in stop motion. I'd already pitched 3D printing, so we already knew that 3D printing was gonna be involved in it. And we knew it was gonna be somehow in the face, but that was so we did we kind of developed and that turned into the development stage as well um so that was kind of again very in length um another big part for our development was the writing so writing it not just to the but adapting it into the screenplay and and that was a huge challenge we we was that was uh pretty amazing um first time for sylvia and i to do that kind of thing so we were really excited to get really into it but that we were at it for months like months hashing this damn thing out so yeah i was pretty and, and you know 
So it, it changes, but depending on the project, what you need to develop in that early stage. But yeah. nice. So you so you like put yourself into it. You pitched it successfully, and you had you had the existing story of the of the bone mother from I think it's somewhere uh, in Europe. I think the author was. She's Irish. She's Irish. Okay. Yeah, so Maura McHugh. Yeah. So you worked with her, you had it, like, where did, and you had all this idea to, like, 3D print and, and like, do it all in stop motion. Where did you start after all that was set up? Like, did you start building the sets? Did you start figuring out the 3D printing process? Because, like, I know you had to develop your own system for that that didn't really exist before. Mm -hmm. Like, didn't you print in, like, wood or something for the faces? Like, Yeah. So, that well... Yeah, I'm trying to think of, I guess, the first process. I think we knew right off the bat once we were, yeah, once we kind of went through this big design phase, uh, actually, we want, originally we wanted our puppets to be much flatter. We didn't want to, I didn't want to build sort of traditional puppets. I wanted it to feel more like a, the pitch was, I, I wanted a, a moving painting. So that, and so that it felt more bas relief feeling so that the, the 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 puppets were much more flat were flatter um and and that sort of thing and so we developed a lot like the puppet being much her how she was how baba was going to be shaped and it, it's still we're trying to get away from the kind of cut out puppet lot reiniger feel so we're trying to get away from that but the more by trying to do that we just complicated our armature and then it became this giant contraption of like arms and things and it just I was like this is way more complicated than, than it's just a regular puppet so then it's like oh fuck it let's let's go back so that was a kind of couple months of development that we kind of went back on ourselves on um but in that process we were also developing the 3d printing and testing all of the the the, the materials and the printers and figuring that out because again like we were using low-end printers because we didn't the the, the the budget or the the willingness to the investment into it wasn't wasn't huge because we needed to prove ourselves on whether this was viable for the film board to use it on other productions or 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 whatever. So yeah, we did it developed a lot. So the time wasn't wasted, but it was definitely we we switched gears when we went to the traditional puppet route. So it was I guess it was months before you even ever started animating. Like what was the oh, yeah. I guess years. The, years years. Well, you spent years, years before you started animating easily. Yeah. No yeah. way. Yeah, we were building. We were easily because I mean we did tests and stuff, but we knew that as far as the animation was concerned, we're both experienced animators, so we were like, well, we don't have to get into the animation yet. We know that's going to come. We knew our puppets were going to work. We knew that we we needed to test and make sure the mechanics of the the registration of the faces or the printing of the faces that was more important. I mean, we animated. We man we had to pre-animate all the faces, so we did all of that in Maya. So I guess we animate that, but that that doesn't count. That, that that's not real. <laughs> so so how much time did you actually spend on the animation? Because like stop motion is a very laborious, time-consuming animation medium. So out of years, how many? How long do you think the animation actually took itself? Because you you have, you have yeah. eight and a half minutes of animation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know what? To go back, I I don't agree that that stop mo is the most laborious process. I think I think two D is. I think I think actually stop mo, because the, the the shooting is actually the fastest part. It's the it's the fab that that's the that's the time consuming part. You know, because you can't begin until you build all this shit. 
So then you can start to like, okay, get into it. We're, you know, um, but yeah, we, we, so we, I guess in the production, you look at it, it's kind of, I guess, a good six months of writing, boards, animatic, that sort of thing. And then, but that, that didn't, that didn't change. We wrote, we were shit, we were evolving and shifting this story. I think even right up until we were shooting, we, we were still redoing our, our sequences and rethinking the story then. Um, that was the nice thing being a small team is that we could make the changes really quickly. Um, but uh, so yeah, we, we fabrication was probably a good year and a half. So that would have been fab puppets, uh, sets, and that sort of thing, all the faces for sure. The faces took a while. You know, we were, we were printing just faces for like four months straight, straight, day in, day and night. I was leaving, I was like set my timer. I was like, okay, I knew that it was gonna be, I would print two faces per bed. We had four printers. Okay, we got eight faces. Okay, the next one that's gonna be done in two and a half hours. Okay, right, okay, I'll go home, have something to eat, come back, set another bed printers, come back. <laughs> you know, it was like, that sounds like it would drive me mad for four months every yeah, day, just months. printing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we were printing and then we had to, and then, okay, so I guess I'm jumping ahead. So we, as we were, yeah, so then, yeah, we, when we animated for about a year, year and a bit. Wait, yeah. how, how many faces did you have to print? More In than total, 10, I guess. Yeah, just a little over. Yeah, I think between the two characters, we did about 1,500. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> And did you did you end up using them all? Because I know that like you can use reuse some for the same expression and whatnot. So we, we why did. did you need like there's only so many vowels. There's only like happy sad. <laughs> well, that was the, okay. So there was a there was a big thing like at the time as well when we were doing the production. We had friends at Leica and we were talking with them about how they were doing their faces and stuff. And and the, what it ended up being is that the face itself would have a very complicated facial rig. So very delicate, especially if you 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 seamed it between the the upper the brows and the lower half, right? So you, you but in, in order to make all of that assemble, even if you were going to switch, oh, okay, keep all your vowels the same, and now you're just going to have angry eyebrows to happy eyebrows. You've got to make sure all that registration is all going to be bang on, and then you got to comp all of that seam out. Okay, so there's some work there. Well, if we did a full replacement of the face, we have a much simpler facial rig. Can we just be two rods and a magnet? And we don't have to worry about seaming and, and, and removing all of that stuff. Now we just, the combinations of, <laughs> of, of eyebrows to, to lower half become quite different. And so we had, we had a script developed, a Python script that allowed us to sort of go through the process of seeing all of our faces and it would uh, we also had a rig that we could limit our facial range to zero to ten. So um, I sculpted all of the facial facial stuff in Mudbox, and we could time it out in, in Maya. And so we had this sort of range, and so we'd have all these options. Okay, eyebrows up, eyebrows down, that sort of thing. All this list of stuff. And as we would animate, it would just generate all these numbers, and that would be it. Would be the the the, the, the script would would compare all of these numbers and then identify duplicates for us. So it could still show us, and we would put it all into a dope sheet for us so we could have all of, we knew exactly what faces we were gonna use. Like it was, it was pretty complex. 
Um, it sounds like torture, actually. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't write it. That's a, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. But it, it was so, it was, again, it was so necessary to do that, to keep track of it all. But what, so what ended up happening is that if we were doing a TV series and we needed to know that, oh, okay, Baba is going to go from happy to sad to angry and all the facial, all the emotional ranges, we could have this library and say, oh, okay, we're going to reference this. But it's a short film. So she's only happy once. All right, now she's sad once. Oh, now she's angry once. Well, we still got to print all of those out. So we were able to reuse some, but she didn't. She would go for a full range of emotions, but not go back and forth between those. So it, it, we ended up still, and then we changed sequences up. So we definitely didn't use some faces, but we definitely had to, you know, reuse other ones in different ways. So what you're telling me is you have to now produce a TV show starring the same characters to really get the use out of these these faces. We're ready. We're ready to go. We're just okay, waiting. good. We're just Everything's waiting. created. So yeah. one of the so with replacement faces, I mean, anybody in the audience is only looking at the face most of the time for a character. So that the replacement faces have to be pretty much replicas of mm -hmm. each other. You can't have like a bump out of place or yeah. like an eyebrow like too big. Did you have to? Did you have complications with the 3D printing process and like sanding things down or like no. painting things correctly? No, it just no, that's why we went. That was one of the big pulls. Why we went to 3D printing was that we knew that it could be like super precise, where we couldn't like to that level of of precise. No, it was amazing. For, for it was always surprising to see on how. So what we did also with Baba is we discovered that in our printing, if we if we because the way that the printer is like a giant glue gun, it's just this kind of glorified glue gun, and it prints in layers, starting from the bottom, works its way up. So if you normally, a lot of printers are trying to hide the seam lines between all the layers, trying to get super tight and super fine detail. Well, we knew that these printers were not, they were really well, really well made, but not like, like a quality. So instead of trying so hard to do that and failing, we realized that actually if we print the face lying down, the layers, and we enhance the layers that actually increased on the face, they look like wrinkles. And so since Baba Yaga is this ancient witch, these wrinkles actually created this topographical map across her face where we would never be able to come close to creating that. So it's like through low-end printers, we actually got this amazing level of detail. And those printers were like bang on exact to like those weird little bits. It did. It would keep those consistent every single time. It's just incredible stuff. So the what became the hand feel of it all is that they were all hand painted so the the wood filament that we used this kind of pine wood plastic filament allowed to it, it like absorbed watercolor so that became really great because that was an early yeah we used like a gouache and a watercolor so we could still keep it kind of a like a, a pale feeling it acrylic felt too plasticky especially on plastic it was like plastic plastic and you're like this looks terrible as a face so the, these watercolor really had this matte feeling. It caught the light really nicely. Um, yeah, it just became, we had to keep our, how much wear we were painting to like super limited because we had to do it 700 yeah. times. Um, I also just want to ask you about the, the house of bones. Did you have to eat like 15 rotisserie chickens to create that <laughs> a few dogs a few, a few dogs <laughs> yeah. oh, no. no luckily though all of that was 3d printed as well 
So. Oh, really? All the bones are 3D printed. All of it. Yeah, and we because we also had to make two scales. So we had to the full stand up scale. So it, she stands up about three feet tall. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and then then there was the interior shots. So every when they were, so we had the full puppets, and Vlad's about about fourteen inches. So I mean that the scale of the, I think it was again another three feet. I think the ribs themselves in the interior was probably about yeah, about three feet or so, just under oh that. Gosh. So that was a big structure that we had to when we of course they're giant. So they all had to be built. Like when we modeled it in Maya, we also had to model in how the scale, how big we could actually print it on a printing bed. So we modeled into it like, oh, it looks like cracks. And we knew that, that would, they would insert together like that. And the vertebrae, which was the center core like a, of the, the roof, just printed those in sections with uh, grooves in it so I could fit them, piece it together like a puzzle. So... It was always great to pre-visit in the computer, so we all knew it, and then just sort of chop it up. Um, but again, Maya is a 3D program; it doesn't really deal with reality too often, so that became a weird challenge to like, what are measurements here, and whether they work in reality, and you know, it was pretty funny. Yeah, well, for me, stop motion. Half the fun is just building stuff out of like craft supplies and seeing where it goes. But I guess you had to be so precise in your planning, like in a 3D space, before you could even do that did that did that lose some of the the fun for you or did it create new no. fun something it, it was yeah it was a whole new thing i mean because it was first time for us to learn maya so it, it allowed that was kind of interesting we got a few crew members um andre and nono that really guided us amazingly through the whole crazy world of three of of maya um but what became what was interesting is that because it was all the product, like even the bones themselves, the house is supposed to be ancient, so it was all gross, and we were going to paint it really rough. Even if the printer kind of fucked up and made some weird, and the skeleton was like, yeah, hey, great, cool. You know, now it's like I got this funky-looking broken leg that I would never have printed it that way. So even, like, failed prints would totally work as well, and we'd sort of make it, squeeze them in there. And so um, the painting became really organic, too. So that was, that was good. Some reason I thought I don't know why I thought it was made out of chicken bones. I don't know where that came from, but I guess I guess it was well, wrong. <laughs> to, to the le I think the legend, the house is supposed to be on chicken legs, chicken bones. Ah, uh, maybe that's where I'm mixing things. Yeah, up. but I never like when I read all the I read all these stories. I was like, what chicken is this big? There's no way there's chickens this big. And I'm like, even in Russia, there's no chickens this big. I was like, but dinosaur bones. Ah, there could be that big. And so the, since the house was all made out of bones. It was like, oh, okay, well, then that led, uh, as far as on the design is concerned, it was like, oh, well, now the house itself is a giant rib cage. It's a whale rib cage. And there's like the shark jaw door. And so they kind of led to more of the sort of the ideas of, of what bones we we're going to use. It wasn't just human, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty, that took a long time. We were building that house for, Christ, almost <laughs> and eight months at least, like from, from when we, I guess it's not even including the, the 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 digital part of it all, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. Of I mean, now you can say the government was paying you to make a a house out of bones for eight months. So there you go. Um, it's, you, it's just much more productive. I've, I've, they've paid me to do way more monotonous, lame, lamer things than that. So. <laughs> Well, that's that's encouraging to hear. <laughs> Every time I pay my taxes, I know where it's going now. Should be proud. Um, right to Dale's monotonous uh, tasks. <laughs> um, 
So you mentioned that a couple other people helped you with Maya and, and I remember like looking at the credits and I, I kind of counted and there's somewhat like 40 people ended up on this production. So like I said it was, you know, self-made by two people, you and, and Sylvie, but uh, 40 people, like what were all the different roles? What was the involvement like? Like where, did, where does this all come in? So the, the board is an institution. So they've got a lot of people that are kind of just working there and they like i said they pump out a lot of quite a lot of films so a lot of people that are there as part of the administration or other things they're working they've worked on all of the projects so they have their they smell they 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 play their small role in in the thing that of the grander whole um and then there's also um people in the sound that did it so there's the sound designer and the sound mix and the and the musicians uh, the voice actors and the, so I mean there's so like the the crew list adds up um, for sure but uh, and the producers that that helped us out were invaluable to to make the production happen as well as not just the kind of uh, gatekeepers on the project but also just to sort of creatively um, they were really you know integral to be able to make it happen um, and so but as far as the production was concerned like a brunt of the work it's definitely still Sylvie and I are still the film board really want as much as possible the project to be the filmmakers it's it's that they, they so they like the the older way of doing it where it really was one person doing the whole damn thing so you know so <laughs> even with this many people it still took us fucking forever so so when you originally pitched Bone Mother, did you expect it to take years or is it kind of like the NFB keeps supporting you until it's finished to completion within reason? <laughs> yeah. Um, you, can, you know it's going to take a few years. Okay. Definitely you, you, you kind of do a, but everybody's sort of wide-eyed and happy and green, you know, and green with where <laughs> things could happen and go wrong. Um, so you kind of try to set a schedule. And that's kind of the weird thing with the way that the film board kind of deal with the filmmakers is that you you kind of set a schedule, you kind of set a very rough schedule. And then you set your payments based on that very rough schedule. So you get paid based on a deliverable. So they'll break things up into saying, Oh, okay, you're in the concept stage, or you're in the you're in the design stage, or you're in the storyboard stage. All right, okay, fine. Within that design stage, you gotta design X amount of things, so you're going to get paid for each one of these things. So, oh, okay, fine. On paper, that's an, a logical way of kind of breaking it down. The reality of an actual project is that stuff, half the time, it isn't finished until the project's finished. So it's so not a clear cut, oh, I'm done my concepts at this point. I'm done my designs at this point. It, it, it's only like that on like a, on a clear-cut TV series where you have to either send it out to the next crew or farm it out to another studio when you're doing it on your own it, it really does evolve and and has a constant uh, uh, growth so it's really tough to get to make a living based on that because your work your time does not equal not even close equal what the out what you're actually doing what how much work you're spending on the project it's like so man we've put it's pretty depressing to look at what the numbers are when you kind of work it compare it to like an hourly wage on what we've made over the whole project it's it's really sad um, do, you, do you ever find yourself like 
pushing yourself just to come up with something to get that payment, I guess, if it's like you said, you're putting in so much time, like, are you like, okay, I guess let's deliver this finally because we can't eat tomorrow. It, it's sometimes that, but at the same time, you're kind of digging yourself in a hole because if, if again, you're not, there's not like there's ever going to be any more money. So it's always a right. finite amount. So even if you kind of like, oh, I'm going to rush this one thing and I'll finish it up later. Well, now you're two weeks behind. Now you're starting two weeks behind on the next payment. And then you got to keep on doing that. So it got really tough at times for sure. Like that was some of the more stressful things um, to, to um, just, to <laughs> just to be able to make it happen because it gets in the way, you know, the money. So we took a few other jobs along the way. So that's also why it took longer. So we pause the film for a few months and, and go get another gig. But then also that's tough too, because you totally change mindset. Um, we put on hold a lot. We turned on a lot of jobs from, for sea creature because they were just, we could take a job if we were just like, say animators. Oh, okay. I could just be an animator on a commercial job for a few weeks and then leave. But if we're doing the whole production, oh, it's too much mind power. And, and especially on a commercial, you got to pitch it and do do this long pitching process for no money before you might get paid it's tough to take a break from a job where you need yeah. to get where, paid you know do you have your own studio space like where are you creating all this stuff right now we're at our ba basement studio oh perfect um, so we just kind of yeah we did it so, so, we'll, we'll, so when you're taking on another job it's also in your basement you're just like pushing everything else into a corner yeah the, the laundry room's right there and uh, -oh. uh you know <laughs> <laughs> the TV's right there, you know. Right. It's a, it's the living room. It's it's a, yeah. There's Zoe. <laughs> um, so we, we we yeah we had studio spaces, but again, like some of these large jobs, like Little Prince, we just couldn't. We couldn't take yeah. have the job. We couldn't have the studio, or we take a long job with the film board, and they have their studio space, so we didn't need to have a a studio. So, but nice. while we were working, while we were on the. Bow mother, we decided. Oh, we just bought a house and we were going to reno the basement. So we were renoing our basement while we were doing a film, and it was weird because we we're building a house and yet we we're building our house, you know. And then uh, that was meant to be a spare bedroom for for family or whatever. And then we ended up getting pregnant and another kid. So we were like, oh crap, okay, this film is not going to be done in time for this baby. So. It, we, but we were just about to begin animation and we knew that if if I was if we were still at the film board and we had the baby uh, one like most likely me I would have been at the studio all the time and wouldn't have been able to see the baby so um, we were like okay well we've got the space now so it's like well, moving on home and uh, so yeah we we only really took a month off after the baby was born and we went like right back into work so yeah. we teaching we, the baby to animate to help yeah. you out with the project yeah totally okay. Totally, he's excited. He's so are, all, are all your kids gonna grow up and be stop motion animators, or are they gonna have nothing to do with it? <laughs> hate it. I hope they get into accounting because we definitely need to. Someone, oh, someone, <laughs> someone that knows numbers, right? Into numbers, Zoe, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. She say yes. Um, no, no, they're they'll be they're definitely. Zoe played a big role in playing in the film. So great, it's like a it's like a family project. So oh, yeah. now, now Bone Mother is finished for a while, actually. So con congratulations, that's that's an amazing achievement for you and your your whole fa your wife and your whole family, I guess. How how yeah. do you feel like after you know you've had time to kind of reflect, things have slowed down a bit. How does it, how does it all feel for you? It's it's strange. 
for sure. Strange. It is strange. No, it's weird. Well, we well, we finished it a year ago now, like right around this time of year. And Facebook keeps giving me all these memory messages that I was like, oh yeah, right. I was, I was, I had even less sleep now then than I do now. Um, but uh, we were, we were really like a big deadline was that we had another uh, uh, project with the film board, this time with French animation, to live in Portugal for three months. So we were packing the kids up, we were prepping the house, and we so we spent last summer all in in Portugal on uh, um, doing some stomo and some 2D stuff on, on another project. So, but we didn't want to launch the film yet. So we kind of just sat on the film for like four months. So that was a weird limbo because you just was like, you can't wait to say, like show the world and do all this stuff, especially on social media. I'm like, and I can't show any of it yet. And uh, so that was a weird, it was kind of a strange, like, uh, you know, depression and not depression and like, oh, excitement that it's coming up and then be like, oh, who cares? No one likes this thing anyways, you know? And uh, total, total insecure artist um, mentality. So yeah, and then we launched it in end of September. And then, uh, so that felt, that would felt better. So we're like, okay, you know, we can tell, show the world this thing. And uh, yeah, so we did a lot of like around Halloween film board we're excited to use that kind of as a halloween thing and uh so that was our that's our our hidden uh ploy now we've just created their halloween films everyone will get sick of it well so it's been like i don't know almost i guess almost a year coming up um since you launched it what is where has it gone what's the reception been like what's your involvement with the film still because i know you're kind of touring around with a little bit so yeah, yeah. Well, it had a bunch. We, we, like I said, we're on Halloween. We kind of we launched at the Stamo Festival in Montreal, and then we also shortly after that went to Barcelona for Sitges. Uh, so Sitges is this really huge um, genre festival, kind of like a it's like a can but Fantasia. It's like Fantasia and can mixed together. Um, it, it, so it's really genre stuff, but by the beach and really swanky stuff and celebrities there. And, and so that was really fun um, to go to that. And uh, so then it's played, yeah, in Morbido and uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, play, it's played around. So it's just been does, great at After Does Dark. the NFB make all those connections or do you have to also be the promo guy? No, they have, they have their old marketing department. So that's, again, more people part of the credits. Um, they have their marketing department, their distribution department. And so, again, because it's not our film, it's the institution's film. So they all kind of can play their role and be a part of the, 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 the life of the project. So, yeah, we can kind of, we at first, we kind of said, all right, this is kind of where we think this kind of film would go. We've, I've always been talking to them a lot about thinking outside of their regular festival bubble um, to go to the genre festivals, but also to think about comic conventions and, and, and also releasing the film ahead of a, a year or two after it's been finished. You know, that like we knew that this is, we, we know the project, we know this is not an Oscar project. So it's not like we have to worry about not releasing it online. We felt it was more important to make sure that the, uh, like the art audience, our small little audience that we were able to build yeah, that could actually see the thing. Um, and so we, we really pushed for, let's say we, we were only from a month, which is pretty rare, I think. They usually sit on a project for at least a year or two before, they'll, before they release it. So for us, after a month of, of uh, 
premiering, we, we put it online. Nice. And uh, so, which has been great. Everybody's been really excited to see it. And that's nice, at least to be able to just send people links rather than just saying, well, go see it at another festival, which, right. you know, so, um, that. When I do this podcast, I usually kind of ask the voice question and, and most of the people that have come on the podcast say, say like they love what they're doing, but they also wish they could work on their own stuff on the side. So you, because they have their own voice and, and they miss storytelling mm -hmm. and stuff. So you essentially like went full speed ahead with creating something that you wanted to create for many years. You spend years working on it and now you've got the final project and, and like you didn't work on commercial work all the time. How does that part of it feel like do you feel fulfilled from an artistic perspective like can you are, are you like totally satisfied do you want to do another project like this do you want to go back into the commercial world a bit like what's how, what's your sentiment and also and also sylvie's sentiment on that too it it's been great to yeah have an opportunity for sure to 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 make our own voice um or at least start to create our voice you know what i mean it, i don't think it really ends um and I think it gives us encouragement to keep doing our own, you know, that we did. We know we made all of that stuff uh, and it wouldn't have happened without our own initiative. That's really encouraging and exciting. Um, we definitely want to do more films than the commercial world. We like the commercial aspect because it's like, it's quick. You can make all this stuff happen. Um, but it really, like I said, it kind of can burn you out. So we're kind of looking to get a, out, not get out of commercials, but definitely focus more on, on, filmmaking stuff um whether it's with the film board or not we'll see um again it's sort of again i think it gave us more encouragement that we can kind of still make this stuff on our own um they're really supportive and then also really non-supportive you know so it's kind of like well you know we can still make this stuff and we'll just find other re resources um and there's also more again we build this meet more people and find out there's more opportunities around the world and and those are those are more like possibilities if, as well if you were to make your own stuff what kind of resources would you would you try to tap into if if you couldn't go with the nfb this time you mean financially yeah uh, i think one of the big aspects that's been missing for a production studio is having a producer having a regular producer um and so that's one aspect that we would focus on is getting getting somebody that can not just get the money for the project but keep the money in for the company and that the company can keep building itself rather than us being caught up in the day to day. And we can't think about the, the future projects. Right. Um, uh, but uh, so what we've been a lot of what I've been developing the last year has been an online course for stop motion. So because, oh. again, we see this niche that's totally missing. We're like nobody. You can see workshops, people creating some things online. There's a, a few classes here and there, but it's not you're not giving that full experience on like, how do you get a job? How do you make this stuff happen? What are the skills that you need to just get a job? You know, it's not necessarily a lot of times because I've been on that side of the table of hiring, you're not necessarily looking at, I mean, it depends on what you're hiring, but you're not necessarily looking at this amazing polished piece. You're looking for the skills that, that this person has in order to get the job you need done. So, you, you, so sometimes these, these the examples that you need to see in a demo reel, for example, don't even need to be, don't even need to look that good. It just needs to show that you know the stuff, you know. So that can be a really, but as far as the courses are concerned, it's just sort of like all these little tricks that we keep learning throughout the years that we can kind of after a while think, oh yeah, this is just life. We tell it to somebody else and they, this is a, 
the, the, the next key the ingredient that they need for their, their whatever the recipe they're doing. And yet they know something that I don't know. And so it's this, this community aspect that I want to keep on building. And I hope to build that through teaching. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're hoping to launch that, uh, those courses in the fall. And that's called C-Learn. Uh, so we're uh, pretty excited by that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you what's next for you, but uh, I guess, yeah. sorry. <laughs> what? Did somebody walk in here? <laughs> um, um, I was going to ask you what's next, but I, I guess it's it's C-Learn. It's, it's, your, it's your style motion course. So yeah, I, I mean, you kind of shared a little bit about that. If you want to, you know, who's it for? Where's it at? When's it coming out? Yeah, it's, we're, we're hoping to launch with two different kind of courses. One is sort of a basic fundamentals of animation. Again, these are things that uh, just teaching the fundamentals, but teaching it in a really um, encouraging and and sort of uh, uh, easy to to get into way. And what I loved about stop motion in general is that I didn't need all this complicated software or ability. <laughs> I, I just could just you can just just literally just grab your camera and and start moving things and start animating. And so that's what I want to kind of get back into. And so the courses are really just setting your camera up on doing a tabletop and just doing these, these, these simple uh, assignments through that. And another way is that uh, it is this concept of anything can be animated. So that a lot of even our commercial work has been all of these crazy objects, coffee, uh, chalk on a wall, um, rocks, whatever, whatever materials that fit the job, you can animate it, you know? And so I think that that's a really fun place to begin your creativity is that you, you've got your desk and your whole desk is full of shit that you can animate and you can create life and characters out of all this stuff. Um, and then, then, okay, bring it up to people and bring it up to your objects and bring it up to the surrounding that you're, you're around. And there's a lot of, of creativity there. So, and especially with social media and so many people are getting into stop mo because it's really accessible it's and and so it's just it feels like it's a good time to to sort of to yeah and there's there's so many companies that uh could use stop motion in their social media advertising especially on instagram totally. because it, it stands out a lot and it's super simple and it, it's it's unique so um, and it also yeah. it allows a it allows a company to show their product yeah. and also bring life to their product so it's always, you know, in a fun, even if it's, it's done really simply, I'm seeing so many uh, fashion photographers doing it. And it's amazing. It's great to see that, just that extra little bit of creativity, bring some movement to a still image. And it, it, it really set, starts setting people apart. Um, so, yeah, so, so we have two different kind of audiences that we're focusing those on. I think the anything can be animated is more for the social, um, social market um, industries or, you know, influencers and that sort of thing. And then the other aspect is uh, students that want to learn more animation and, and learn more of the craft and all the trips and the tricks. And um, one aspect that we're really building part to C-Learn is a, a network map, basically. So everybody that's a part of C-Learn is on this global map and is allowing, is, is immediately connected to people in the industry. And so, because that's a huge part of, how we end up getting like i'd say it's definitely 95 percent of all the jobs i've ever worked on has been because i knew somebody like 
always. It's always through that contact. It's who I've given jobs to. It's how I've found people. I don't do job posts. You just call them up. You email somebody, and that's it. Um, but so especially for a beginner, you don't have that contact base. You can't. You have a really hard way of what's that entry point. And the, this is what we're hoping that can be that is that this this contact map can allow immediately a student or a member in, in of C-Learn to just have a contact base to start with. And I think that can be a really great way of either, even if it's just to connect with each other through social media or whatnot, it'll just immediately, uh, that will lead to work for everybody, I think. Um, well, yeah, I think that's incredible. I mean, the hardest thing that I've experienced when I, like when I was doing stop motion in high school was just trying to find anybody who else who is interested in stop motion. Yeah. Like, I was all alone, so um, yeah, the yeah. only people I would find was just like your stuff randomly on like Vimeo, and I'd be like, "Oh, there's this guy like halfway across the country who's into it." <laughs> um, yeah, I guess well, I was in Montreal at the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Well, that's not halfway. That's still very far away, especially yeah. when you're like a kid. But, anyways, I think that's incredible. So basically, what you're saying is somebody could uh, not know anything about stop motion, take your course, and come out with not only the basics. Uh, of understanding what kind of skills you need to excel in stop motion for a career, but then also be well connected with other people who have made this a career and, and opened up job opportunities and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's the hope for sure. And I hope that it. I hope that it's also not just people that were like, oh, I've, I've wanted to get into stop motion, I dabbled in it, and I, or I'm already a stop motion animator and now I want to like up my skills. I'm hoping that it was, it's going to be people like my experience too, which is. I was trained as a 2D artist, but I was struggling as a 2D and Stop Mo allowed me to actually learn how to animate. So now I go back into stop uh, into 2D and I'm and I know I know much more about how to animate because I was able to make those mistakes quickly in, in Stop Mo. You make those you just make a mistake just by moving it in a different way. Or if I had to do that in 2D, I'd have to draw it out, I'd have to do all this stuff and render it or whatever to be able to see whether it looks good or not. Stop Mo, I can do it immediately. So it's a really, I find it a really, really great way of teaching those fundamentals or, or trying it out and seeing like, how far can I push this before it doesn't work anymore? And that you can really do that really quickly with huh. Stamo. So That's, I hope that it's like, that we get, that we get uh, CG students or, or uh, other forms of animation as well that are willing, not even willing to, they don't even necessarily want to get into Stamo. They're just using Stamo as a tool to be able to learn it. You know, I think that that's, yeah. it can be a really great way for that. Um, I never really considered that as a, as a, like an animation tool for other mediums, but that totally makes sense. I mean, I, like when I've talked to like Sarah DeGodimer and, and Scarlett Nelson, it's like, yeah, they, they can, and yourself, you can easily switch over to 2D or 3D because you understand the fundamentals of animation period with stop motion. So Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it, it was only because of stop mo for some reason, for me, that was my, you know, just whether it was just again fighting my abilities to draw or, or what um or it just somehow I, I i could just think differently in that way um but i think also one of the aspects is that we're trying to simplify stop mo as much as possible too to sort of keep it down not worrying about puppets or armatures or sets and stuff like that a lot of stop mo you can really just sort of before you get even started, you've got like, oh shit, I got four weeks of work before I start. You know, it's like, no, I want, I just want to just throw the camera and just start doing this stuff because that's all we're here for is just to learn animation. 
puppet building. Okay, that'll come later on. Uh, you know, set building. All right, 3D printing. Okay, later, later, later. Right now, this is just the animation part because I still see like what should be experienced animators, and I still see them. I'm like, you're you don't you just don't get the bouncing ball. You still don't get it. I, I, I you wouldn't do that if you did if you got it. You know, it drives me crazy. So I wanna, I wanna <laughs> don't wanna see this bad animation anymore. <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's a good goal, and uh, I mean it's coming out this fall, right? So I'll definitely, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll so we'll link to that in the description of this podcast as well for anybody yeah, interested. We're, we're building, we're building it up, and so we just finished a big project, so now we can just focus straight on that. Um, but uh, yeah, so coming up, we have uh, we're, we're Bone Mother is playing at Annecy, uh, that's coming up in mid June, so that's going to be cool to 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 show it to the French people. And uh, in the, and it's actually playing in the children's selection, so which is kind of interesting. So we'll see oh. how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they don't run away screaming. You know, yeah, most of the kids that have seen it, all of them have been like, this, yeah, they're not. They're totally not afraid. They kids will love it. They they've seen it. way worse already. Of course, yeah. Um, and they'll probably love it just because of the the puppets and the style. It's so unique. Yeah, Stumbo always has this. People kind of are drawn to it because it's it's real. You see it. It's got a texture. It's got something visceral. <laughs> you know, you can. You know, it's that's why we love it. That's why we kind of. Yeah, we use a computer. We definitely use it as a tool. But Stumbo is where where we'll stay. And when we've we've incorporated Stumbo into this last project, which was a some sequences for a feature documentary. So we've done documentary sequences for a while, but and they tend to be very After Effects style. But we were like, no, let's try and bring Stop Mo into it. So we've done a few sequences in that. And uh, so that worked out really nicely. So we're hoping to do more of that. In the, nice. Well, yeah. um, given, given like your experience on Bone Mother and your career and commercial work and, and this course, uh, what, would, what advice, I guess, would you give somebody who's looking to either go with the NFB or take on Stop Motion as, as, like a, <laughs> as a career or more than a hobby or mm -hmm. something like that? Mm -hmm really go at it what what advice would you give them I, I think it's just it it really is just kind of doing it you know it's such a lame cliche but it is really just about doing is this, it. I mean, is so this because you had that nike commercial that you worked on and, and you got that just do it in your mind still <laughs> <laughs> they haven't paid me enough for that no, no. <laughs> but it's a good it's a good motto um yeah because i think that that's it's been what's pers what, what we persevered through the kind of dark times on on Bow Mother, but also in a, on all our films, it's kind of just like this knowing that when you ha when you come out of it, you'll have this created thing that would not exist if it wasn't for you. You know, so that's pretty. I don't know. I find that encouraging to keep on creating, um, to do that stuff. And I think when it comes to the board or any other, from my experience, from the other granting organizations, they just want to keep seeing your voice, your your own your own look so whether that's where you, I know that for me personally is where I always keep needing to work is just finding my own uh, unique thing because again I was trained 2D so you train 2D to be able to be adaptable and copy everybody because you, you're never doing your own thing you're working on other people's productions you got to keep it on model so that for my drawing style that always became the way too so then when it came to stop mo was something well okay this is something I can I can uh, maybe create my own voice here too but again, you do client work, so you're you're still having to do it for the client. Still got to work in their world. It's still gonna make sense for the product. 
So that's always that's so that's why our range of projects have been so varied as well. Um, and so we, I guess, I guess one thing I heard I, I was told this in, in college that in animation you can't survive if you're a jack of all trades. You have to be a specialist. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay. So you're in school. So at the time, very two D based. You're like, yeah, there's a layout department, there's a storyboard department, there's the animation department, there's a cleanup department. Oh, okay. Just, people don't go back and forth. They're they're a cleanup person. So I was like, okay, this is my thing. I'm going to focus on that. And as soon as you get into stop mo, you're like, if you're well, once I got in, it was like, okay, I'm an animator. But you start realizing that, well, you need to know a little bit of lighting. You need to know a little bit about sets. You need to know about the puppets. You, know, you need to know the cameras and the software. And that before you know it, you become a, a, a jack of all trades. And, and that has actually been our survival, is that, I, that ability of being able to wear all those hats and think about that what I'm doing now is going to affect another department or another part of, of the production. And, and those, sort of, those sort of things that have always really that ability to be able to do that and that our skill sets, whatever our skill sets were before, have a, are valuable in the industry. Again, like in, in other, other forms of animation, it's like, well, your skill sets are either like, you're a great designer, you're a great animator, and there we go, you move on from there. But in Stamo, it's like, you know how to weld? Oh, dude, like you're totally employable. Now, like in a whole other department, you know, it's like welding, why does that have to do with animation? In Stamo, it's hugely valuable. You know, so it's like all these different skill sets, even your family skill sets come into play. You know, so it's like all of what's around you, our kids have been a huge contributors of the thing, of, of any project. They've always played like, you know, contributing either whether it's creative ideas or, or just solutions to problems. They've always played a big role. So so, so it sounds like if, if, if you are struggling to really pick one path for put yourself not in a box but mm. specialize then maybe you should try stop motion totally i think is it it, it is it's it, like when you meet people who have stumbled into it they were actors or they were prop set people or they were just so, like again photographer some people didn't even go and even think about animation they somehow became these incredible now in retrospect they're the the top like they are the top of the game these people never went to school and never even thought it was an option. So it's it's one of the where but those skill sets that they came into it, whether this person was an actor or a dancer, well now that's totally influenced their path. So whatever happened before only strengthens them. So even if someone is is second career, which a lot of people I went to school with were second career, uh, it, it, it that that's value. That's still that's 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 money sitting there waiting to be applied to another product and another solution, another problem that's that needs solved. So I find that that's really fun for 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 Stamo in that sense. You know? Right. Well, do you have any any final thoughts at this point that you want to share? Well, I think it's the, that idea, that it's that concept of just yeah. sort of you don't don't even if you're feeling like you haven't quite made that. Um, that connection or that into that industry quite right, it might mean that you just, that is not the right one for you. I'm really happy actually, a quick story, sorry, <laughs> quick story. In, in college, I actually left and took a year off for the school, from the school. And that year off, I thought, oh, I can get a job. I, blah, blah, blah. So I did my throwaway portfolios and of course got nowhere. So I ended up going back to school. So I was a year, I graduated a year later than most of my friends. But the only job when they graduated the only thing that was possible was this job up in Sudbury doing flash. 
and that they they they're missing a part of their soul because of that in that that in that that time that term in in Sudbury. And I know if I graduated with them, I would have moved with them too. I know it for sure. And that would have set me on a whole different path in in animation. Because I took that year off, because I had that conflict with the with the school, and I and I had that this bad situation. It delayed me, and it got me into stop motion. In retrospect, so it's like again, those all those little situations in life have now just shape you into that right path that you're going along. So, so yeah, well, well, that's that's incredibly random and also incredibly <laughs> fortunate too. <laughs> yeah, I think well, that's that's, that's it. Is like, no, no, not all the bad situations are bad. You know, they, there is always that silver lining in those sort of things. Yeah. Well, Dale, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate the insight it's great to chat about uh your career in bone mother and also just to hear your experience so thank yeah. you so much oh no, thank you terry i'm glad we're still staying in connection to the <laughs> yeah. like 10 years well, we're not like, enemies yet so no, not yet. maybe yet. that's further down the line. <laughs> <laughs> all right well if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with dale you can follow him on instagram at bone underscore mother or his other account at Dale underscore Sea Creature, and that's C with two E's. And I'll include the links in the description. Also, um, if you're interested in the course he's creating, it'll be at www.c-learn.com. And that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye.